Wow, thank you so much. And uh, Robert, in the, in the, in the spirit of, of gospel music and preaching, I'm, I'm looking forward to a call and response when I preach. I want to hear it. Preach it, brother. And uh, Amen. There we go. No, we're so glad that... You, did you notice the theme? Blessing God at all times. Uh, rejoicing in Him always. Uh, that is kind of what the theme of this month of May is going to be about, and also as we go into June, but specifically May. There is a verse that we're going to use through this month, and we're going to ask people, it's three short verses, to memorize them, and then to say them three times a day for 30 days. Now, I know there's 31 days, but we're going to give you a break. We figure if you can get 30, you'll get the 31. And, and these verses. And so I'm going to ask you to say this with me. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're hoping that you'll take this May challenge, and one of the ways that we want to help you in that, and you may not want to be one of the people that you know wear one of these. You've seen this green Advantage Joy series. This uh, little green thing you can pick up, the, uh, the ushers will have on the way out. You can put it in your car. You can put it on your desk. You can wear it if you want to. And it just says, basically, be joyful, pray continually, give thanks as a reminder that we believe that as we practice that, we put ourselves in a position for God to speak to our hearts, to move us into better places in our emotions, in our mind, in our will, and He promises to bless. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that you would take this morning and these moments that we have, and that you would allow for us to hear your word. Speak to our hearts, we pray, through your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in New York, the New York Times had an article a couple of years ago uh, on a project that they were reporting on that some researchers had initiated. And it was around Facebook. And the article in the New York Times said, national, Facebook's National Gross Happiness Index measures how happy we are. A team of Facebook data scientists using Facebook and the information we share about ourselves was then going to go ahead and develop what would be called the, the, the National Gross Happiness Index. And they would take these status updates. They would kind of mine all the different status updates, and they would bring them together, and they would find keywords, and then based on, on sentiments expressed in them, such as, I'm sad about MJ, or I'm so thrilled it's almost the 4th of July. They would take those keywords and those sentiments and collect them in such a way that they would kind of measure the overall mood of people, and they would do that over time. And they show in this article what they call a, a screen grab, which is just kind of an idea of, of those days throughout the year of when people are happiest. And, I, I, and they, they have about five or six days. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you the third day and let you kind of guess. The third most happy day in the life of Facebook status updates would be what? It's Easter. Surprising. The second most happy day would be what do you think it would be? Christmas. Boy, you guys are great. Now, what do you think would be the first most happy day? Actually, almost twice as much as any of the other days. Thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? Because there is a correlation when you see in Scripture that the, the um, kind of the sibling of, of joy is Thanksgiving. And we talked about that at Christmas in that series where it said, you know, whenever you look at things, you have a thankful heart. You say it could be worse. Well, what I want to share with you is, as I was thinking about it, I thought, what if the Apostle Paul had a Facebook page? 
you know, and he, he posted his own updates. And, and, you know, our crack worship planning team found his Facebook page. Pretty amazing. And I'm thinking it would be really neat. You know, I'd love to be a friend of Paul. And here I find Joel Bowers and Peter Kapsner, already friends, on Paul's page. And Paul's got some interesting posts. Chase from Thessalonica tried to stone me, really thankful. Joel goes, you're going a bit too far with this marathon training. Um, he continues on in prison and four different guards about Jesus rejoicing. Peter Kaftner says, waiting for your release with Joel Bowers. I mean, I don't know how you guys got to be friends. Huge storm, shipwreck, prayed hard, continually still alive. I won't read what those guys had to say to that. And Paul flogged today, thrown in prison. Praise God. Earthquake. Well, if he did have a Facebook post, I think it would truly mess with all of the index. Because Paul was the kind of person who learned to be content. He began through his life, as we talked a few weeks about, through spiritual flexibility. He was able to take those things and begin to say, God, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to live in joy. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. And Philippians is really kind of what I call the happy book of the Bible, written by Paul, though from a very unhappy place, prison. He's in a prison cell. He's chained 24-7 to someone. How to be joyful when you're locked up, when you're lacking the freedom to do what you really want to do, when you're in prison, in pain, incarcerated. Those are not what I call happy words. But throughout this letter, he says, be joyful. I'm going to ask you to stand since you've been sitting for a little bit. You're going to stand as we kind of just give reverence to the Word of God. And this is a long scripture, but I'm going to read it and ask you to just follow as best you can. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and just mark those words because you'll hear it a couple times, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And verse 18, if you want to underline one, but what does that matter? So what? The important thing. Is it in every way, whether from false or motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, catch these words, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And again, some important words for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far by, better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Guess these words, whatever happens to you, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know, 
I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You may be seated. What I want you to notice these words, because I'm on this during this message, I'm going to share with you a practice. We do practices in the Christian faith to help open us up to the grace of God, to his mercy and his goodness. And so we we study the word of God not to get brownie points and to spend time in, in, in prayer and reflection. We do it to open our hearts to the grace of God that he might speak to us and he might infuse in us the ability to carry out and to fulfill with courage, as Paul said, those things that are before us. And there's a practice that I'm going to share with you, and we're going to get into it a little bit later in the message, but it's called Jiu-Jitsu. Now, I don't want you to think this is a New Age thing, because Jiu-Jitsu is merely a martial art technique. And I'll explain that later, so don't drift off on that. But I'm going to teach you something called Jiu-Jitsu. I think a practice that will help you experience joy in any and every circumstance. So these words you need to know in verse 12 of chapter 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers, and here it is, that what has happened to me, Life is happening. Verse 18 and 19. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I want you to know what has happened to me. And then he says a third time in verse 27. Whatever happens to you, in a sense, be like me. Conduct yourself in a way worthy of the gospel. Live like Jesus. Follow Jesus. Imitate me, says Paul. In this life that blesses God at all times and exudes his joy. So how do you live this way? What happens to you? How do you do this when those things are happening to you that you're not really planning, don't really care for, don't really want? Well, as we learn about this and we do this, um, as I teach you this technique of what I call jiu-jitsu, what I want you to know, one of the first things, it's a foundational truth. It's kind of a, you need to plant your feet and your heart in this truth. And the truth is basically this, you trust God. No matter what comes into your life, You trust God. You know that he is in control. You know that God is working his his will into your life. You know that God loves you. He deeply cares about you, has expressed it on the cross, went and sent his son Jesus because he so loves you. He doesn't just put up with you. He actually desires you and wants to live with you. So you trust God. So no matter what's coming into your life. Paul begins in in verse 12 making this very clear. He has to almost define his situation for these people because they have gotten news that he's in prison and they're really bummed out because they knew that Paul wanted to go to Rome. They knew that Paul wanted to be there preaching, but he comes to Rome and he's in prison. And how would you feel about something if you heard that one of the missionaries was going over someplace or you had some friends and they're in prison, they're locked up, they're incarcerated? And this isn't fun prison. This is kind of shackles on you. This is not what he was hoping. And so he says, beginning in verse 12, I need to explain to you that what you guys are thinking isn't really true. I want to make clear to you that it's certain that what has happened to me is achieving and advancing what God wants done. His story, his bigger story is taking place. That's what the gospel is all about. It's not just about salvation evangelism. It's the pronouncement that Jesus is king. And and the gospel in that sense means you are proclaiming to everyone that God is on the throne. As we sung a few moments later, he's king. And here's where the rubber meets the road in our lives. In my life. 
Am I willing to understand that no matter what happens to me, if I've entered into God's story, God is working out His purposes. He is doing what He said He's going to do. It's here where our faith begins to really be more than just words. So that Paul can write in verse 18 and 19, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It doesn't really matter whether I live or I die. The reality is this, that in this whole process, God is delivering. He is doing something in the bigger story of this gospel, and my life is in it. So that as he goes on and he says in verses 15 and 18 of this passage of Scripture, he goes, guess what? I know that you've heard these things about my being in prison, and you have to understand that God is advancing things. He's actually allowing for me to speak to the guards, and as I'm speaking to the guards, it's going throughout the whole palace. I wouldn't have figured it that way. Paul, basically in his mind, had always wanted to go to Rome. He hoped to go to Rome as a free man. He gets to Rome with the desire to preach, probably in the first synagogue of of Rome, and he's not. He's actually chained to someone, and that's his you know, his ability to preach is to one or two, three, four people. And he goes to Rome with this dream, I think, of maybe staying in a Four Seasons and, and not in a prison facility. And yet he knows that at a certain point in his life, he trusted himself to God's story. And he was willing to say, God, I want you to work in and through me. I know that you love me. I know that you, through the cross, took away my sins and, and you've forgiven me and you, you've, you love me. And I've given myself to this. So I ask you a simple question. Have you trusted yourself to God's story? Where you say, God... I want you to take the pen of my life and I'm giving you full, complete control to write my life as you desire. And you're going to come across pains and struggles. This is verses 15 through 19. Paul is even saying, you know, it's really tough about this whole giving yourself to God's story, trusting God that he's in control, that he's working things. You know, God's at work in all situations. Is this truth? Here I come to Rome and there are a few people that are encouraged and emboldened to preach about Jesus. And they're doing it out of love, good motives. But there's a few of them who are my supposed friends who are betraying me, taking friendly fire. And they're doing it out of jealousy and rivalry, all in hopes to create more problems and troubles. And yet, he goes, you know what? Even in that, I trust God because something is happening. I rejoice because guess what? Christ is being preached. So have you ever, maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe you've never done that. And you're here this morning with this kind of sense of, I'm here, I'm trying to figure out my life right now, I'm in one of these prisons. You might be here for whatever reason. You might be in a very cold, unemotional marriage relationship, and it's a lifetime prison sentence you maybe feel. And you have this sense that, you know, when is this, you know, God, I, I don't know. And God is saying he can do something with that prison. Or maybe you're in a situation and you're kind of going, I feel imprisoned. I feel locked up. I have some kids that I love. They're rebellious and, and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're not following the ways that I would like them to, to follow. And, and you can't reach through the bars to even get to them. Their hearts are so distant and removed from you. Or you're in some kind of prison of financial debt and, and the wardens are, 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 are things like Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. Or you're in some kind of prison right now where you find yourself locked up. You're incarcerated because maybe you're single and you've, you've just in your heart. You feel a sense of solitary confinement. You're alone. 
I don't know. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's just that, you know, life is happening and you don't like it the way it is. It's not what you wrote. I, the other day, um, a few weeks ago, in fact, it was April 15th, tax day, and I was pulling out, I was in a hurry, pulling out, and I backed into another car with my new 2004 car. Um, it really was pretty new. It only had about 30-some thousand miles on it because my parents drove it down to Florida. didn't have much. Anyway, you don't need to know all that. But I bet in my own driveway. And I have this big, big kind of dent in there. And the other car, and there was no damage, thank God. But it was like a tank. It didn't move. Um, and I was just, I was 50 times. I was really not a happy camper with this happening in my life which was even of my own choosing, in a sense. And one of, the, you know, one of the bad things about being a pastor who preaches and teaches God's Word and who's been teaching on joy is you usually have a wife who um, holds your feet to the fire. <laughs> who I love. I've been doubly blessed with grace. Um, and I have this big dent in the back of this white car, and I'm just... And, and Grace says, you know what? It's a great opportunity with your will to choose and practice joy. Oh, bless you, Lord. <laughs> Which is really true. Because the second thing is, if you have this foundation of trust that you know, even in your own decisions, you, you might be here out of the, the results of what's happening that you chose and you're in this place. And what, what Satan wants to do and, and, and what you may have been trained to do is to guilt yourself and continue to beat yourself up. And God is saying, guess what? I died for you to take that away. And yes, you've made that mistake. And there will even be consequences potentially of that. But guess what? If you enter my story, I will actually begin to move in such a way that I will bring you through this, bring glory to myself and to you and to others. So here's the second thing. You have this foundation of of trust that God's at work, whatever's happening, even if you've made the mistakes, and now you move to this place of what I call engagement. You join with God with what you can control. God is not calling you to try and control everybody else. What a horrible way to live. It's so frustrating. You ever try to control your spouse, your kids? Some of you as parents are still trying to do that. You feel imprisoned, locked behind the bars, and God might be saying, the reason I got the bars there is because you need to leave them alone. You join with God with what you can control. And that's what Paul does. Paul makes a basic statement. There seems to be two important things. One is God's at work, what he's doing. Verse 18, but what does it matter? What I'd love for you to say in your heart when these things happen is, so what? Two things are going to happen right now. The first one is this, that I trust God's at work. The second thing is this, I'm going to engage, join God with what I control, which is your attitude and the way you behave. Your attitude and way you behave, what you're going to do in that place, in that moment, can change everything within you and around you. It's time to get out of the game of trying to control everything. There are only some things that are important to really be engaged in, and there is only one thing. That you truly have control of. And that's your will. And how you will respond in this moment to this. You have a choice to join with God. With what you can control. With your attitude and your response to what has happened to you. And here's the truth. You may not feel like it. You may not be thrilled about your current circumstances. 
You may find it a place of struggle. Here's what he says in verse 29 and 30. Paul writes this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, not only to trust him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same... Listen to the word he says, struggle. Paul is not some kind of guy who is living this life that just makes no sense, and you kind of go, well, yeah, there's some people who are just born optimists, right? That's not Paul. He, He acknowledges that this is a struggle. But the great thing in the struggle is this, that as you trust God and truly believe it. So now the stuff we sing here on Sundays, we start to really say, I'm going to live this. I'm going to really believe that God has his hand on my life. If you've entered his story, if you've repented and come into a place where you've opened your heart to him and say, God, come in and and take my life like a pen and start to write it with, with your hand. You ever done that? Is God calling you to do that right now? I I believe God is calling someone right now to say, I'm I'm done trying to write my life and trying to control things and this frustration. And he's saying right now it's time to take the foundation of your heart and your life and put it in the hands of God. And all you have to do is say, yes, God, I want you to do that. I I, I give my will to you to do that. I I ask you to come in. I ask you to take the, the sins, the choices, things that I've done that have hurt others, hurt myself and hurt you. And I just repent and I ask you to move in my spirit. And then you move to this place, you're actually joining God with what you can control. And here's the cool thing. As you begin to do that, you open yourself up to the work of God to do things that um, will amaze you. This This is how God can come in and do miraculous things beyond what you can imagine or think. Because now you've given him his place in that foundation. You've joined with him with what you can control. And now you do this third thing. It's what I call you move with God and use whatever is coming against you for God's advantage, for the advantage of others, and for even your own sake. This is the jiu-jitsu move that I want you to So you, you foundationally put yourself in the trust in Christ. You engage by joining with God what you can, can control. And then you move with God with the things that you can control so that what is coming against you, you use for him. Now, here, here's, here's a demonstration. Again, I thank our worship planning team for the things they do. They found this demonstration tape. Um, before they play this, let me just say, Ken Horiuchi, who is a pastor in Japan who invited me to speak a few times, was the one who told me a little bit about jiu-jitsu, and he was actually showing me this. He's, he's a generation older than me. He's about 80 years of age, but back then he was about 16. He must have been 20 or so. Anyway, um, that was a joke. Yeah, if you, if Mathematicians here are laughing. Um, and he just told me, he said, here's what you do. You take the opponent's, here's what this martial art move is. You take the opponent's force and energy and you use that momentum and you either move it towards something else rather than for yourself. So go ahead and just um, listen to this. Let's look at some low-tech drills once again. Something like this, I can explain the mechanics to you in a couple of minutes. To be able to do it under stress it takes practice. This drill is a foundational drill that's really simple and is part of all jiu-jitsu. It's the idea that I have to go with his force, not against it. Remember the old axiom, push when pulled, pull when pushed. I think Shigeru Kano himself at least popularized that. So the idea is we can play this game with one hand or we can play it with two hands. Let's play it with two hands. It's really simple. When he pulls me, I just want to go with it. And when he pushes me, I want to pull him. 
It's simple, but I have to do it instantaneously and not think about it. That's the hard part, to have it ingrained into you. When he pulls on me, there's always going to be a natural reflex to pull back. At first, he can feel that, can't you? So now when he does it, I want to move with him as smoothly as possible. Your partner will be able to feel that. So at first, you're going to have a long hesitation where you pull and resist. He begins to pull me. He's going to go like this, and then your memory's going to click, and you're going to go, okay. He's going to be able to feel that. When he pushes me, it's the same thing. For a moment, I'm going to push back. It's during those moments in a real confrontation that you're going to get hit or you're going to get thrown. So all we do is just a few minutes every day, play this game. He pulls me. I try to relax and go with it. Pushes me. I go. I bring him with me. Then I do the same to him to the point where my natural reaction, no matter where he grabs me on my shoulder, he starts pulling me. I go with it. I try not to freeze, flex, and pull away because at that moment, that's when the punch or the attack is coming. That's the entire founding principle of jiu-jitsu containing a real simple drill. Okay. Jiu-jitsu is just primarily this. Whatever happens in your life, it starts to push you, and you say, God, I'm joining you with what I control, and you go with it. Or it begins to... to um, um, did I say push before? Push, pull, whatever. Pull. You go with that. And it is something that our natural reaction as human beings is because we're so in control and want to run our life and, and so in control of what we seek and want to do. That is when it happens, our natural reaction is, oh, man, we get grumbling, we complain. What's your natural reaction when things happen that you don't like? Yeah, right. Let's let's you know, I, I know I got a real happy crowd here, but let's just face it. Our natural reaction, and rather what Paul learned, the process of transformation is we understand this trusting truth of what God's doing. We gain this advantage by engagement where we, we actually join God with what we can control in our attitude. We choose. You choose joy no matter what you feel. You choose to bless the Lord at all times. You choose to move into that. It doesn't happen naturally. And then as you do it, you say, God, how do I take this and use this, which is coming against me for you? And here's what's really cool about it. Anything that comes in your life, any enemy against you, guess what? They're not going to win. Because God's in control of your life. God is moving with you. God is doing something through you. And as you move through that, you begin to say, God, how do you want to use that? Oh, I'm in prison. Maybe my prison will be a platform for you in ways I never would have imagined. And God says, that's exactly right, Paul. I'd have never gotten to the whole palace guard if it wasn't for this. And then what's happening in that situation, it starts to excite other people. Some for wrong motives, some for good motives. To begin to become courageous to share the gospel. And Paul's saying, God, I'd have never believed that my imprisonment would actually free people to do things for you. Do you know the greatest joy jitsu move in the whole of Scripture is found throughout the life of Jesus Christ, but one specifically. All the things were conspiring against Christ. He knew he was facing a cross. He was in a garden where he joined God with what he could control. And in that garden, he prayed sweat of blood down his face and forehead. And as he got up from there, he established and said, God, I'm moving with you in your story to do what you want to do. And so he moved with him onto a cross. And on the cross, at times, even on the way, he felt totally abandoned. And yet he trusted. He moved with God. God did something incredible. The, the, the opponent thought he had him pinned. And because he moved with God, God resurrected him. That you and I might have life. You don't know what your moving with God will do in your life and the lives of others. 
Next, we're going to look at chapter two and you're going to see how as Jesus moved with him and served and did all those things, what God does is he exalts him to the highest place. Because God always says, when you humble yourself, and you move with me. He does what? He will exalt you. So what what is the thing that you need to grab hold of right now? What is it in your life right now? What's happening? And right now you can say, this is happening, God. I'm going to grab hold of this. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to join with you with what I can control. I'm going to begin to start looking at my attitude and my behaviors, and I'm going to choose. And then I'm going to move with you to see what you can do in this situation. I believe that's what God's calling us as a church to learn. There's a, there's a, a statement. I don't know if you have this, Andrea, but where it says, or I ask people to say, my joy is not determined. Is that on there? And I'd love for us to read this together. I'll read it to you. My joy is not determined by what happens to me, but by what Jesus is doing in and through me. I trust God, join with God and move with God joyfully using whatever happens to me to his and others in my advantage. That would be a wonderful thing for you to repeat. My joy is not determined by what happens to me, but by what Jesus is doing in and through me. I trust God, join with God, and move with God, joyfully using whatever happens to me to his, others, and my advantage. So let me just close. I'm visiting my daughter this last Monday, and I'm so grateful for Peter. It's so fun to teach with Peter and his heart and be able to kind of just move together in the way the Lord's working in us. And just that whole message on love. If you didn't hear it, boy, you need to listen to that. But as I'm at my daughter's place in Henderson, Nevada, and she was going to her classes for her physician assistant program, I think it was an ophthalmology class, whatever, I was going ahead and and working on the message for that morning. And I'm I'm writing on the porch. It's 93 degrees. Um, Yeah, and and it was hot. Um, It's later in the morning, and all of a sudden I get this phone call. And and, and on the line, as, as I answer it, it's, Hi, Kevin, shalom, my brother. How are you doing? And you know how you're trying to figure out well, who is, I don't know this voice. I'm looking at the phone number. Didn't look. And it took me a second. And I went, Stephen, Pastor Curry, you're, you're in Minnesota? And he goes, no, no, no. I'm, I'm calling from Bethlehem and not Pennsylvania. From Israel. And as I understood, that was Pastor Curry who was with us. You know, pastors to church in Bethlehem and in, in, in Jerusalem was with us and did that series, Love Costs Everything, the Ability to Suffer. We talked for a little bit, and at the end he goes, Hey, brother, with all this joy in his voice, Hey, brother, pray for me and invite your church to pray for me as I'm going to some very hostile area this next week. And just pray for courage. And I thought, I think I just read about that. As Paul says, you know, we're in this struggle, I pray for courage. That's what I want to do for you right now. I'm going to ask you to grab hold of what you have as you join with God and then begin to move with him. Let me pray that you would have the courage to begin to choose joy in your situation. Father, I pray right now that as people are grabbing hold of whatever has happened in their life, that they would begin to join with you with what they know they can control and then move with you to use that to whatever advantage you want that to be in the lives of others and in their own life. And most importantly, to the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.